Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And Isaiah, plowshares, swords. Piece of cake. Peace. Or not. Peace. <laughs> peace. P-E-A-C-E. Wouldn't we like some peace? <laughs> you know, as, it's, it's interesting, as we, as we go through the prophets, um, when, when, you're, when you're forced to, to preach on the prophets and dig into the prophetic texts, like back to back to back, you know, it... They build it, on each other. Well, and not just that, but it also really kind of hits home as to why they really weren't liked. Oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, like, it's, it's, they're hard texts to dig through. Well, and, and honestly, we're not getting the, the, the really hard texts. We're, we're getting the softballs. Ish. The, re, the reality is none of it's easy. Like, even, even the, the air, air quote softball texts, prophetic texts, aren't easy. I mean, I, I, Isaiah 2, of all of Isaiah's, you know, stuff, is, is kind of the, the, look, this is something to look forward to. It, it, it's a hope passage um, of let's look forward to a time. It's when, a hope passage, yet in our current reality, we can't fathom it. Correct. Right? So, so I, I, I know that the... He, I mean, it's better than the y'all suck and I'm going to destroy you texts, which, I mean, you know, I mean, he meant next well. Week, or I mean, this coming week. I mean, Isaiah meant well. But the reality is, like, as well-meaning as Isaiah is to, you know, sort of try and phrase this and, and put this in a, in a hopeful light, the reality is we're so broken as society, like, we can't even begin to fathom a world of peace. Like, well, so, so the, the, I guess, true irony of while you were preaching your sermon on turning um, swords into plowshares, there was a mass shooting that morning. Yeah. That I don't think we had quite realized had happened when we were doing services or there would have been some mentioned in prayers and stuff like that. So I hope yeah. people understand we were not ignoring it. It's just we had not, I think, fully grasped what had happened um, yet that morning because it happened that morning. Yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, Sunday morning is up, throw down breakfast, get here and start setting up and... Right. It wasn't on my, wasn't on my radar until Sunday afternoon. You go, holy crap. Yep. yep. And, and I mean, to be honest, like, it's, it's sort of like, uh, like Culver's flavor of the day or the soup of the day. It's what, where's the shooting of the day. Um, some are more massive um, than others in terms of the quantity. Um, but, you know, I think, last, I think last night there was a shooting at a Walmart in Virginia and you know, nightclub in Colorado Springs, a Walmart. I mean, it. It's 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 literally it's like it's like a where's Waldo. And we have black we have Black Friday before we even get to this weekend. Yeah, um, and, and there's always violence on Black Friday because right. somebody's because yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny. I I actually wrote about that for the newsletter article, not our newsletter article, the community newsletter thing, 
uh, you know, here it comes Black Friday. You know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to throw down. It used to be in Toys R Us. Toys R Us doesn't have retail locations anymore. Um, so now it's usually like Walmart or Target or something. Right. You know, or Best Buy. Somebody's throwing down, throwing People punches. People aren't or, going to the malls the way they used to. It's like, man, like, we, you, take, you take a holiday season um, to celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace with... Uh, Let's get up at 5 a.m. and... and I, did that, I did that. I did that. I did the one time... And make a mad dash for stuff. Back in, back in Pennsylvania, when Kindles were fairly new, um, Target had them on sale. And we were, like, we were, like, I'd say we were paycheck to paycheck as a family, but we weren't even paycheck to paycheck as a family. We were, we were um, Bill Roulette as a family at that point. It's like, what bill can we pay this month and how much... How little can we pay to keep this and blah, 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 you know, that game. Um, so like Black Friday and you get like a 50% like a off Kindle at Target, you get up early and you wait in line at Target. And I did. And I did it once. And I'm like, wow, that was a really um, uh, interesting experience <laughs> to be waiting in line at like 2 a.m. for a 3 a.m. opening or whatever. I don't even remember what time it was, but it was like early morning opening. Because I, I don't think they were open at, like, midnight. I think it was, like, early, wee hours of the morning. Yeah, probably and then I'm like, like okay, a 3, well, 3 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. Let's, let's see what this looks like. So, you know, did the Target thing, and then went to the mall, and then went, you know, did my, my, my shopping, you know, my Black Friday shopping craziness. I'm like, well, that was interesting. I don't think I need to do that again. Um, not that, no. not that I wouldn't do it again, but I, I just, man, it, it, I, it really throws... It, it's my, it, it honestly is my idea of hell. I, I hate crowds and I hate shopping. So here's the thing for, <laughs> so here's the thing for me. I love shopping. Um, I, I love, so typically, this is pre-pastor days and you'll understand why. My, my shopping day was Christmas Eve. I loved, I loved to go shopping on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve because there's just so much like hustle and bustle and there's so much going on. And I'm like, man, this is like, this is cool. Like I, I know I'm sick. I, I love, I love <laughs> I'm just, that. I'm not real sure why we work well together. I don't know. But I, I love, I love that part. And I mean, obviously now, like Christmas Eve, we're kind of busy. Um, so Christmas Eve shopping ain't a thing. But I, I, I appreciate that, that seasonal hustle and bustle until people get ignorant. Like, like, I like the joyful hustle and bustle and people are in, but that just seems to be less and less. Um, and I, you know, if you, if you look at, the prophets kind of call us, you know, to this idea of peace and, and, and justice and, and all of those things that we've made Christmas not be. So it's really interesting, especially, you know, with the narrative lectionary and the way the lectionary is set up. Again, if you're not familiar with it, the way the lectionary is set up, you know, in the fall, we, 
we start in the lectionary with, with Genesis and, and work our way up through, and we kind of build up to Christmas, and you know, the lectionary then goes into the, you know, the Christmas story and then into the Gospels, and then at Easter, you know, Jesus' you know, death and resurrection, the Easter season, and then, and then into the epistles. So, so now, as, as you know, we're literally building up for Christmas with shopping and decorating and all of those things, the lectionary is also building up to Jesus' birth. So you get this really, the last few years I really felt this weird um, tension between what the prophets are preaching, which we believe is, 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 is manifest in Jesus, and juxtapose that to the Christmas season. And it's like, wow. Like, this is about peace and justice and hope and love that Jesus ushers in. And, you know, we're cutting people off in line to grab, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the hot gift is this year. Um, there's always one every year. It's like, oh, I have to have this. It's probably a PlayStation again or something like that. Um, uh, this don't is, ask me. I have this no is where I we need Christmas br- gifts. This is where we need Brittany <laughs> on the podcast this week. Um, but like, whatever that hot gift is, somebody's got to fight over it. It's like, wow, because that's the Christmas, that's the Jesus spirit. And you know, you're going to be in line on Black Friday at a stoplight, and someone's going to cut you off or take your parking space, and you're going to wind down your window, and you're going to cuss somebody out. Like, it's going to happen. It happens every year. It's like, hey, Merry Christmas! And, 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 and that person will have a bumper sticker that says, keep Christ in Christmas as their... I love that one. That's always fantastic. Oh, man. I love Christmas. <laughs> uh, I really do. I, but again, I think it's that tension between what Christmas is and what it's become and, well, and just recognizing how out of alignment it is. You know, I find it interesting, though, that people kind of balk at the fact that, you know, the prophets are what we focus on during Advent in the narrative lectionary, and they're like, oh, you know, this isn't real shiny happy. And I'm like, have you read the Vice Common Lectionary texts (laughs) for Advent? You brood of vipers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it starts with still a prophet. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of, of Advent is the, the anticipated coming and the prophets are, um, they're, they're the ones that pave the way, so to speak. They, they get things ready. They are pointing to that which is yet to come. And that's really what, what you know, is going on here in terms of why it's actually, in, in my view, when I, I look at it from a, a theological perspective of the church season, so to speak, is that the prophets are absolutely fitting for Advent because yeah. it is about that waiting, that anticipation, that hope for something better while also being called into a different way of life. Now, that you should do that all the time <laughs> kind of thing, but when we specifically set aside, okay, here, 
here are the four weeks that we're really going to focus on this, this anticipation, on this, this, this hope, this waiting, this darkness um, of the world that, that's waiting for the light to shine kind of thing. And when, and I think part of the confusion a lot of times too is that in a post-Jesus world, so to speak, you know, it's, well, okay, the, we're, we're looking forward to something that happened 2,000 years ago and recognizing that actually what Advent is about is about waiting for the second coming. It, it, it's, it's the, yes, Jesus came at Christmas. He, you know, he, he came in um, a particular time and place as a lowly child, infant, but these promises that we are getting in the prophets are pointing us to a much larger fulfillment than even that was. That was kind of a, here's a foretaste. Here, I'm going to give you, give you Jesus in order to show you what the kingdom of God is so you can see what I have in mind. And of course, our response to that was, let's, let's string that up on a cross and <laughs> get rid of it, because I'm not sure we really want that. But that's the whole, um, you know, what, what are we waiting for? What we are waiting for is the, the full ushering in of God's kingdom. We talk about that a lot um, in yeah. this podcast. Is the, Hurry up already. Yeah, is, is, is what the kingdom of God actually looks like in all its fullness. And all we keep getting are glimpses, and it's... It's hard, um, and, and I think Advent speaks into, at least for me, Advent speaks into that tension and that difficulty of, yeah, the world's still a mess. Um, the world still sucks, and yet we have the promise of the light has come into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. And that continuing promise of the darkness doesn't win. In the end, the darkness doesn't win. Um, <clears throat> and that's, that's a hard thing to cling to sometimes when you're, you're sitting in the midst of, of a world that seems like the darkness is winning. It's hard to look around at our world and, and see a lot of hope right now. Um, you know, on the, the world stage, you know, it, you, you've got Ukraine and Russia and this constant possible threat of, well, is this going to eventually turn into some nuclear war? You know? <laughs> you've got the United States tying whales in the first World Cup match. <laughs> well, isn't that kind of an indication that the end is near? <laughs> that that we're no you men's men's USA soccer sucks. <laughs> I know that's my point. I mean, they should have beat Wales. Wales isn't any good. <laughs> my my point was they, they they actually tied the team instead of losing. <laughs> Give them a chance. They'll lose the next one. Um, now, women's soccer, on the other hand. 
Although they, they have not been playing well. But anyway, I digress. Um, I haven't been paying any attention to soccer, I have to admit. I, I pay zero attention. Um, it, it than, is, it uh, is, other than there was something I was seeing about Qatar, and I don't know what any of that had to do with, and I just haven't paid so, attention. So, to so, the, so Qatar is hosting the World Cup, uh-huh. and there was a pushback because of some of their, um, their very strict laws and views. So, for instance, um, a number of the European teams were wearing armbands, captain's armbands, that basically said, one love. Um, and... Yeah, I saw somebody was wearing a T-shirt or something that had, like, rainbow stuff on it, and they got kicked out. And they had... The, I, I believe it was... I, I don't know who... Again, I don't follow all that, that intimately close, but, but essentially the European countries were told that they would be assessed a yellow card for wearing a one-love armband, which is asinine on so many levels. And then they also, like a week before the World Cup started, said they weren't going to sell beer in the stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whew. Uh, well. I mean that a very strict Muslim country does not allow for for alcohol. That's so so, so no, much no, so no much poison for, in the system. So much for the German fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so again, there's lot lots of lots of issues, but it's uh, yeah. Um, anyway, my point being, I really have not been paying much attention. Soccer has never been my 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 sport, so. I, I haven't really paid any attention to that. So we were, we were, we were talking about hope. And, and one of the yeah. things I love, I love about sports is like at the beginning of every season, every tournament, there is this sense of hope that, that my team is going to win. <laughs> like, like, I mean, there are a few exceptions. Nebraska football, perhaps one of them. Um, <laughs> Oh no! All Nebraska fans during the summer are like, "Yes, this is right. the year." We're I know, gonna, right? And then that, we play our first game, and we're and like, that, "And that's okay, what I'm talking about." Fine. Like, there <laughs> is that sense of hope in sports that no matter how bad the team has been, it's this is the year. It's all gonna turn around, and there, there's there's a there's a youthful bliss to that. That maybe maybe that's what Jesus was talking about when he it was. Uh, um, faith like a child, right? Like, like just this youthful bliss. But there, there's, there's an excitement and, and a hopefulness in well, sports. Well, I sincerely hope that the kingdom of God is not anything like Nebraska football. <laughs> uh... Because there is a disappointment that nobody needs. <laughs> the current state of the world, perhaps, the fumbling, bumbling, stumbling through life maybe is a reflection of... Right, and, but if, I mean, I mean, yeah. if your hope is for like, yeah. for my, my point being, if your yes. hope is that, that's 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 maybe not a good analogy because yeah. your hopes get dashed. Right. <laughs> I truly believe the, the fulfillment is not so hot. <laughs> I truly believe that the hope that we have, um, it's not that, Nebraska. That hope. joyful hope, what for whatever it is. That like just legit passion for oh my this is this is it this is, oh it's gonna be so fantastic that that is actually realized in the kingdom of God and all the ways in which it is 
horribly wrong here are right there. Now, again, what are we, what are we calling the kingdom of God? So don't hear that and you, if you've listened to me for more than, you know, at all, let's just say. <laughs> I am not a kingdom of God is this place where we go when we die. Like, again, that is not, well, when we all die, we all, Nebraska wins every game. You know what I mean? Like, like that ain't it. Like, like this kingdom of God thing is not, is not a after we die futuristic no, the, heaven. The ushering in of the kingdom of God is actually the renewal and the, I mean, it's, it's what happens at the resurrection. Yep. I mean, it's, it's the, um, the new life, the new um, renewal of everything, renewal of, of the earth as one of uh, uh, the my I, she was not one of my professors because she was at a different seminary but um, Barbara Rossing used to call it um, you know the the rapture in reverse it's the the coming down so to speak um, instead of us getting sucked up uh, <laughs> you know it, it's God kingdom descending from heaven to earth um, it's the, the coming down and, and dwelling and being part of here. And that's really part of um, that, that vision and that hope that, um, that you both, you get glimpses of in the prophets of their promises of things. Because when you get to, uh, you know, the, the notion of the second coming, you get that in primarily the book of Revelation, which is drawing on all of the Old Testament promises, basically saying, look, this is what it's pointing to. It's pointing to this ushering in of this, this, this kingdom, um, of the nation streaming to, you know, Jerusalem, of the, the healing of the nations, the... Uh, not allowing the the evil and the bad inside its its um, community, and because all all of the all of that icky stuff has to be left out. Yep. And so, it's and I think it's hard for us to fathom and imagine because we don't see how that knowing how human nature works. We, we don't understand how that is going to actually, like, work. I, you know, I, I think about all of the, a lot of TV shows and stuff that basically, you know, it's like, oh, you think you want utopia or whatever, and then they show how horrible utopia would be because you would have X, Y, or Z taken away, um, which makes you lose you know, whatever, and, you know, it's always the, no, our messiness is the beauty of, of who and what we are, even though it comes with the bad stuff, too. So it's hard, I think, for us to even fathom what those promises are going to look like. I bet there's no cell phones in the kingdom of God. That actually, to me, is not a bad thing. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm... <laughs> I, I think I think maybe getting rid of <laughs> a lot of that isn't isn't a bad idea. Now, granted, a lot of my career has been focused around technology and things like that, but yeah. Um, so I guess maybe that's part of why I'm I'm hoping for a future that doesn't have <laughs> that technology because so much of my life has been. Um, dependent upon and wrapped around uh, 
the technological advances and stuff like that. I don't know, you know, it's just one of those things where we just don't know what it looks like. And we aren't given a whole lot in, in, in those kinds of terms. I mean, everything becomes speculation at that point because basically all we've got is Jesus promises you're gonna be healed, you're gonna be made whole, you're gonna be restored to community, there's not going to be poverty. I mean, these are, the, these are the things that, you know, we focus on in terms of what the promises entail, um, how that actually is structured and gets lived out is the bigger question mark yep. of what does that look like? What does, you know, because clearly as a society, humanity has never figured out how to do this. We've we've never figured out how to live together in such a way that we don't have strife, that we don't, you know, that we don't have um, evil things happen. Even, even if you are structuring your, your cloistered community, et cetera, you know, let's say you're trying to kind of live like the Amish do and, and you still wind up with violence occurring, you still wind up with things encroaching in, um, and I mean, I think a lot of us would, would see living that kind of lifestyle as well as, as not exactly being something we would want. My, my first year at seminary, the groups that were on campus, because it changes because of graduation and internship and things like that, my first year on seminary campus was probably as close to a community of, that reflected the kingdom as I've ever experienced. It was not perfect, there were flaws, but largely speaking, the senior class my first year was a deeply caring and inclusive group of people. Um, our class, my class, again, sort of mimicked that that same sense of caring for one another um, and it, and I, re, I remember you know distinctively multiple times you know saying to christina and and even talking amongst my our classmates, this is amazing like this is a community of people who get it and care about each other um, you know i I, I mean and, and like in, in, in stupid ways, like in silly ways. So, you know, someone backs a moving truck up to an apartment on campus and people that are just randomly walking by, hey. Need help? Do you need help? Now, I remember planning to move to seminary. So, so what do you do when you, when, you, when you ask people to help you move anywhere? Food. I'll, Beer I'll... and pizza is generally. Give you pizza. Right? That's, that's always a good trade-off. And I remember going, am I allowed to do beer and pizza, mainly the beer part, moving into seminary, or does that kind of out me right away? <laughs> that I don't belong here. <laughs> um, we opted for beer. And it was, it was a fantastic experience. Um, and again, it was modeled largely by a group of of 
of seniors at seminary who had just gotten back from internship. They'd already been through CPE. They've already done internship. And, and they, were, they were such a caring group. They modeled it, right? And because they modeled it, and it was what we experienced, our class modeled it and modeled. And now I'd love to say You mean that there was like, there's this thing called um, leadership actually matters? Yes, absolutely. And can model things that other people go, oh, maybe that's how we should behave? Yeah. Now, unfortunately, our second year on campus was a different senior class. That senior class was not nearly um, as, not nearly as gracious. Um, so they did not take it, the lesson of their... They did not. Um, to be fair, the... <coughs> excuse me. To be fair, the way seminary tends to work, that class was not on campus when that senior class exactly. was on. They were... They were on internship. They were on internship, so yep. they were not present to see that kind of leadership. Which is, when you think about it, kind of a bad model then. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, it is what it is. It's just kind of the way the system yeah. well, the is system set up, works. but the system has changed so much. The seminary process has changed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I don't even know how they do that anymore because um, I know. But, but I, I, just, I just remember going, you know, in this small community, on this campus, and, and this, this is something that, that I joked around a lot. It just cracked me up that, like, if, if someone sneezes, like, usually someone will say, God bless you or bless you. In seminary, when someone's, at least in my experience, when someone sneezed in seminary, it was like this chorus where everybody had to say it or it wasn't valid. Um, it, again, just really strange that everybody had to say, you know, bless you. Bless you. Um, but I, again, that's a stupid example. But there was just a sense of community, a sense of caring and support for one another. Oh, so-and-so is going to have a baby? Oh, the entire seminary campus signed up to provide meals so that they didn't have to cook and they were provided. You know, when we had students from, you know, not just, you know, beyond traveling distance. Um, so Thanksgiving... For my three years on campus, Christina and I organized the Thanksgiving dinner on campus for the students who couldn't go home. We were fortunate. I mean, we lived an hour from campus, so we could see family, you know, anytime we wanted. And like, you know what? This is, we could do this. Like, we could, and, and one year, family actually came to seminary and had, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with, but it was just this sense of, from everyone on campus, that it wasn't just about you. It was about the community about and, us. and everybody. Yeah. And, and that, that is, it's so lacking in the world. Now, now, some neighborhoods have a little bit of that sense, you know, amongst themselves. But, you know, those, I, those instances just seem to be smaller and smaller. Now, if there's a tragedy, you, you often see people rally together, you know, in Florida, you know, hurricane season, you, you know, you get some folks, some communities that are devastated and they, they kind of pull together and go, ah, oh, why does it take that? 
Well, there, like, there's why, the big question. Why does it take a tragedy? Like, why does it take a tragedy for people to realize that, that, some, that other people matter? And, and not to say that you don't see bad behavior in, in, in those situations, too, because you do. But, I mean, damn. Like, it's, 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 literally, it's literally what the prophets call us to. That sense of community, that sense of justice, that sense of peace that isn't just, it isn't, it isn't. It isn't just about, you know, the fact that as I, 15 years in the, in the history of our country, we have not been at war. It's not, it's not, just, about, it's not just about the war part of it. It's, it's, the, it's the peace between people and... and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna actually admit that I think that the 15 years was a kind of a high number. I, I, was, I was impressed by that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because I think, I, I mean, years and years ago, there was um, some statistic that was like, in basically the history of the world, there's only been a total of 100 years of peace or something like that. Um, so I'm like, wow, as a nation, we managed to get 15 years in some in those 200 years. That's that's we're 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 better than the world average. That's sad. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, to be fair. There's some tribes that have been fighting since the beginning of time, so. Yeah, I mean, it just. Is. <laughs> that kind of screws the numbers. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I guess I just really, maybe more than, I, I'm, I, I'm longing for that sense of peace, and, that, and, I, and it can only happen, we talk about justice a lot. Mm -hmm. The only way that peace can happen is if there's justice. Right. I, I mean, you can't, you can't have... Well, you the, can't have peace without there being justice. Justice and, and somewhere, somehow, to eliminate the human propensity for greed and power. Right. Because the, Which, those are the things that, that drive all yeah. the problems. <laughs> Which Isaiah talks about. Like, like one of the things in the text this week was that God will be the arbiter. God will be the decider. Right. And I, I, I admit, I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea how that happens. Like, I, like, I don't know. Oh, so kind of when I was sitting there and you were paying way too close attention to my mutterings during the oh, 930 yeah. service. <laughs> and you were like, what, what? And I was like, oh, shoot. I was like... I, you were moving your lips. Yeah, I know. I was moving my lips and you thought I was actually like trying to say something like to contribute. And I'm like, well, not, not really because I'm... But... But what I was sitting there thinking is you were talking about, you know, the, you were kind of going through a line by line, you know, with, with the verses, and you were talking about um, the house of God. Yep. And to me, just an automatic, as a, you know, as a Christian kind of thing, for me, that automatic image of God's house, God's temple, is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's just that automatic, well, where's the temple located? Well, the temple's Jesus. Yep. So that, that all starts getting wrapped up in, in um, Jesus speak, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and, and Holy Week. And, yeah. The temple and, lifted up. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, immediately when I, when I read that, um, I I. I I, I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's talking about Jesus there. 
And that kind of reshapes, in a lot of ways, for me at least, how you, you read the rest of that. Um, so that was why I was like, oh, well, I, I really don't want to open that can of worms. That wasn't where you were going. <laughs> I, I, just, I was just muttering to myself. <laughs> con- confessional moment. This week, whew, man, I feel like more than most weeks, uh, three different sermons, or at least three different, very, three very different endings. I realized Saturday night, after Saturday night, it needed to be. What was what? I, what I feel like I missed. I think I missed Saturday night during the sermon was a an acknowledgement that that we just don't see. We don't see God at work. We don't acknowledge God at work. We we often think of it as something that. You know, we hear, we see, we read the miracle stories, you know, in the Gospels, and we think that they don't happen anymore. And we literally had one in, within our congregation. And I'm like, damn, how did I miss that? Which then I was able to bring out at, at the other two services. So sorry, Saturday people. Um, come Saturday, then come Sunday. Because um, it might be different. I, but I, I mean, I think there's a sense, and, and I feel it sometimes too, I'm not going to lie, where... It's like, where's God at work? Like, where's, where, are those, where are those things that are just like, wow, like that's amazing to me? So, you know, looking forward a little bit to um, this coming weekend's text, which is the, the lovely prophet Habakkuk, um, which most people have never even heard of. Uh, <laughs> And, and just kind of happened to be uh, uh, a prophet that I wrote a paper on when I was doing a God, evil, and suffering class in seminary. But I think what I appreciate, and, and I'll talk more about this next, you know, in my sermon and, and what's, what's coming up next week. Um, but there is that question that that prophet gets into, of where are you, God? Why are you not dealing with this? Um, so I really appreciate how Habakkuk is like voicing that lament of God, why are you not doing something? Things are terrible. <laughs> Fix it. Um, we'll talk more about that next week, but I, I, I just, you know, I kind of appreciate how the, the prophets in general. It's a dialogue. I mean, it's not all like, hey, you people suck. It's also, hey, God, what, what's up? What, why, aren't, why aren't you acting? Um, you know, you've made these promises and things like that, and what we're seeing, this, this doesn't jive. Well, what's, what's let's, let's be honest. One of the things that leads people away from the church, I mean, besides the church being jerks, but one of the things that leads people away from the church is, is the question of why did God allow this, whatever this tragedy is to happen, right? or if there was a God. So for instance, when I was on internship, um, my son played ice hockey, and one of his teammates that year, um, they thought had a concussion and was exhibiting symptoms of a, of a concussion, went to the hospital, and they found a brain tumor. And he died not too long after we got back from internship. 
And now this is, this is a kid who, my son, um, who one summer spent five weeks at church camp. Like, he was fully enmeshed in, in, his, in, his, in his faith. And when that happened, he's, I mean, he's like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't, if there's a God, this doesn't happen. Right. And, like, to this day, I mean, he's, he's not, he's definitely not a churchgoer. And, and, and part of that was, is also, you know, when you're in a congregation and... You're you, an introvert and your dad's the pastor. And, and, yeah. and, and you... I, I get how that goes. And you witness um, the church not at its best. Right. Uh, mainly, well, why is... Camden's question is, you know, so, so here's, here's, here's Christina, here's my, 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 my mom, my stepmom, bringing two babies, you know, Anna would have been about, just for round number's sake, you know, a little over one, one and a half, and, an, and a newborn to church because it was important to her to be there, it was important to take Camden, it was important for her to raise our kids in the church. Well, here's a newsflash. Young kids aren't particularly angelic and peaceful in church 99, you know, all the time. So, <laughs> you know, it can, be, it can be a tad disruptive. Well, what happens when a kid is disruptive in church? Oftentimes, it's the stink eye. Yeah. And I literally had someone come in my office and complain about, kid, about kids making noise in church. I'm like, well... Mine are the only ones here, so I know I who you're complaining I about. Wonder who we're talking about? Um, I, I I kindly um, told him I would help him find a church where there were no kids, so that he could worship in peace. Um, because I think it's important that that we do raise kids in church. And you know, I, I get as a parent, I get um, the discomfort of my kid disrupting air quote disrupting worship. Um, but the reality is the only way they learn to be in worship is to be in worship. Right. And you just kind of have to live through that. But so, so one of Camden's frustrations, so we, we had this, you know, this perfect storm of, um, I have, a, I have a, a, a friend who dies of a brain tumor at, I want to say, 13, 14 years old, somewhere in that range. And now... You know, the church my, is treating my family terribly. My dad has been ordained and is a pastor, and you know, I'm watching, I'm trying to help my family by going to church and corralling you know, kids and comfort kids, and we're getting crap for it. Like, this isn't, this isn't what... This, is, yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't what I learned in confirmation. Right. It's not out. what I learned in confirmation. It's not what I learned that the church, how the church is supposed to be, how the community is supposed to, you know, um, behave, that kind of thing. But for a, num- for a so, number of people, that, that lament of where is God or why is God not acting yeah. leads people. To, and, and it's a perfectly valid, completely valid question. Right. Like, why do these things happen? Now, if Pastor Rebecca or I could answer the questions, why do bad things happen to good people. Neither one of us would be at this congregation. We would, be, we would have written a book, done a series, and made millions of dollars off of it. Because that is the age-old question. You know, right. Why do and bad... And there have been books written on that, and yet it still somehow doesn't answer the question because people are still asking it and still going, wait a minute, this doesn't, doesn't seem to quite... Um... Well, we don't get the answer we want. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the answer we want is that is that God is going to protect. God's people 100% of the time from any wrongdoing and just simply coming to church and believing in God means you're going to have, you know, a life of joy and luxury and no heartache. Yeah. And it's just, it's not the reality, which is, you know, that whole prosperity gospel thing just drives me insane. Um, I wonder how, so I bought a book that kind of trashes the prosperity gospel. <laughs> um, <Christian> did. <laughs> and put it under our, under our taco about Jesus tree. I wonder, I wonder, <laughs> one, I wonder who won that tree and is enjoying all the Mexican food in the community. I'm a little jealous there. And I wonder what their take is on that book. Um, <laughs> I suspect... How does, how does Pastor Chad evangelize tacos and books that trash prosperity gospel <laughs> and, and buying taco t-shirts and buying taco t-shirts that was uh, a, it that was an experience too yeah. um um the oh prosperity gospel and, sorry complete loss so that 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 whole idea of the prosperity gospel where where you just you just believe you just pray and everything's to be great and hunky-dory like it, it's 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 lousy theology but it makes us feel better. You know, it's, it's what you want to believe. It's, right. It's very much what, I very much want to believe that because I'm a pastor, my life will be super easy and I will have no heartache or hardships. It's not true. And that God will give me millions of dollars and I can live in a wonderful mansion. And, and, I don't even and, want millions of dollars. I don't want millions of dollars. Just, just. My, my, my point being, that this just is. Give me, just. I, yeah. I was happy with student debt relief. Well, you're not getting that apparently. No, nope, not getting that either. Um, Although I think I qualified for the 10 years and then it's forgiven. Right. That's a totally different program. Correct. So that um, pre-existed, you know, predated the, the, the current. Yeah. But yeah, the whole... Um, I'm all for the year of Jubilee. Why don't we go back to that? If we really want to get, get biblical. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I absolutely think we ought to get back to some of that stuff. Because a lot of those rules, laws, etc. were all about um, making sure people did not live in poverty and did not get into situations that they could not ever get out of. Um, well, they should the, be the more responsible. Of, of life, of a lifelong debt kind of thing, was completely foreign in terms of how the Bible like dealt with it. It was like, okay, there's a time period here where, yeah, okay, maybe you owe debt and things like that, but after this time period, no, you're done, um, yeah. because I don't want generational poverty. I don't want that for my people. I don't want this family falling into poverty and now they can't get out and their yep. kids can't get out. And it just, you know, the, the cyclical system that, that kind of continues that. And, and there, there was a mechanism that, that God kind of put in place that this is how we avoid that. Yep. Generational poverty is so understated and, and not... This country was, the myth of this country is that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And we've talked about this before. And, and you even talked about how, like, try and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, you, don't, you can't actually do that. Right. But, but it's a really nice saying. But, you know, this idea that, well, if you just work hard enough, 
you can, you can make it. And the reality is, far more often, you're stuck in your place. Now, it's not to say that those stories don't happen because they do, but they're few and far between. And it's not because other people are just lazy. No. Like, it literally takes an act of God to, to work yourself out of generational poverty. Um, right. now, well, and, you, and you'll notice that a lot of our, quote, billionaires did not start out in poverty. Most of our billionaires started out with a couple million dollars that mommy or daddy gave them. Right. Um, or like, I, like I remember, I remember some of the narrative um, around Trump was that you know he was a self-made, and it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, no, he wasn't. Your dad. He gave actually you... has less money than he, he started out with. Right, but I mean, his, but I mean, his dad gave him. I forget how much how much money a, a, a billions. lot. Gave yeah. him billions. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, no, no, like you, like. You were you were given money, like and again. That's that's not a that's not a knock on. I don't want to go down the you hate Trump or you. Don't, I, I, I was thinking bump. more like let's say Elon Musk. Everybody's like here here's a self made man who's just you know he's done things with tech blah blah blah. And it's like yeah his his dad owned what was it an emerald mine in uh, emerald mine in South Africa. Yeah. Um, you know yeah my parents own a emerald mine in South Africa. I bet I could invest in a lot of tech stuff and do some pretty cool stuff too. The more, ac the more accurate colloquial, coll what's that word? Um, Colloquialism. Collo that's it. Man, that got, whew, that was really stuck. <laughs> um, the more accurate one of those is um, you have to have money to make money. Yeah. That's way more accurate than pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, again, we're talking profits and justice. There's an economic justice piece to all of this because we all know right. that, that money is so instrumental in, in society, not just today, was then too, but today yeah. especially, that it has, it has way too, money has way too much power. And, you know, God tried to take that, God tried to take the power of money away. Well, I said, listen. And, that, and that's where I was saying the one thing that needs to go, you know, the, or I should say the two things that need to go away are greed and power. Yep. And, and how do we get rid of those two things? And I think, huh, I should probably know this because in uh, about six hours I'm preaching on it. I think the text today, I have taken notes, the, I haven't. The Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving yeah. Eve Thanksgiving text. Eve text you know, deals, is from Deuteronomy and kind of deals with this economic piece. And I think... <laughs> <laughs> need to recheck my notes. Um, guess what? Guess what I'm doing this afternoon, people? <laughs> Wrapping that sucker up. I hope. Um, but and which is kind of what we need to do right now. We kind of need to wrap this up. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I'm just gonna eat profits. Pie. Moving into Advent. Next, uh, the the next text for this weekend, first weekend of Advent, is going to be um, the lovely prophet Habakkuk, who is in the midst of the Babylonian invasion and kind of going, "What the heck?" Um, yeah, you know, like, "Wait a minute, what is this?" And um, we'll talk more about that next time. We so. should we should do a poll of cool names in the Bible. See where Habakkuk ranks. Probably Could, right next to Haggai. And I like Habakkuk. Have I like that better. Anyway, bye, everybody. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. See you next week.